Good morning, everybody. Everybody, you guys look, you look really good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. Turn to your second choice, say, it's a reflection of leadership. <laughs> uh, if you're new to Connect, I just want to say hello. My name is Pastor Derek, and uh, great to have you with us. We're in a series. Uh, we call it Firepower, and we're talking about the subject of the Holy Spirit, encountering the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're calling it firepower. Everybody ready to go? Real quick, I just want to give some acknowledgement to our dream team. Uh, first of all, a lot of people have been serving this week. We had a flood this week in our lower auditorium. Um, we had two pipes burst and uh, round-the-clock efforts to get ready for, for Sunday. So I want to, in just a second, give it up for them. Second, we had a crew and a creative crew that put together our stage that's behind us. We worked 14 hours yesterday. Can we just give it up for our dream team? Some of you guys up here, and I know they're everywhere, and Aaron to the back, and good job, good job. I'm thankful for all our, just all our dream team. Amen. Well, you can get your worship guides out, and you can follow along on version. I'm going to get right into it. Um, how will I kick this off? Let me just say that there have been, I'm going to give a little history, okay, first, rapidly to help you kind of put all of this subject that we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit, in context. And so before we talk about today's church, we'll talk about, you know, some things in yesterday. The last 100, 115 years, let's just say, think about, if you can, maybe you'd have something different than what I would say, some of the biggest stories, let's say, in the last century, biggest stories in the last century, okay? Uh, we'll have a couple pictures come up, but some would say that one of maybe the biggest stories in the last century would be, religiously speaking, radical Islam. Uh, the growth and increase of radical Islam. Um, it's certainly on everybody's radar. Uh, you could call it an ISIS crisis. You could just you, There's just things that are happening in the Middle East. The turmoil and tumult of the Middle East is uh, more uh, prevalent and more promoted and more, there's more self-awareness than any other time. Uh, maybe in history, but that's a, big, that's a big story in the last 100 years. Some might go back a little bit further. Um, some of our um, people that come from a Catholic background, raise your hand if you come from a Catholic background. Watch this. Bam! Uh, it's usually about 70% of the church uh, comes from a Catholic background. But in the 1960s, uh, Vatican II. How many are just kind of familiar with some of the changes uh, in the Roman Catholic Church? Vatican II, for some, there were just... It would be seen as maybe the biggest story in the last hundred years, sweeping historic changes. Uh, sometime I'd love to talk about that. I think in the summer I'm going to do a message on Catholicism versus Protestantism. Anybody interested in that? Yeah. Okay. I think I will. So uh, some also maybe point to, uh, it's kind of a hard one to phrase, but the defeat of, or let's just say the downfall of atheism, specifically uh, the downfall of the Berlin Wall. Anybody remember when that happened? That was a big deal in human history. Um, kind of atheistic government uh, had a downfall, and maybe, maybe one of the biggest stories in the last hundred years. Um, I say all that because we can all recognize and see that those were huge stories. We're all, um, you know, probably been exposed in some way, shape, or form, uh, maybe even went through some of those changes. But one of the hugest religious stories, actually globally speaking in the world today, is one that you might not think of, but let me just tell you, it's the case. And that is the explosion and um, extension, the rapid growth of the charismatic movement on the earth today. Um, the charismatic arm of the Christian church. I like to call them empowered evangelicals, where there is a balance, rather than a, uh, a distance or a divorce, there is a tethering and a connection between 
the word and spirit camp. And we've talked about this over the last couple weeks, that there is a there is a polarity or there's this tendency to have this bent towards or default towards one side or the other. The word side, which is just very doctrine-based, and Scripture tells us to watch our life and doctrine closely. It's very apologetics-based. We need to have answers. We need to be able to have a, a timely word and an apt reply, and we need to know the hope uh, of the an-, an answer to the hope that's within us, it says in Peter. But then there's the spirit side. There's the side that just believes that um, Acts 2 Point two is still available today. What happened at Pentecost is still possible today and that there is a relationship possible with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is God on the earth to help us with the things that are happening here on earth and there are signs and wonders that can follow them that believe. Greater works will you do, Jesus said, in my name. He was not just speaking to the apostles. That was not some cessationist period, apostolic age to be done. No, it is a continuation. But in the, in the global church, there has been a merge between those two, more so than we see in the American church. But things are changing. In America, in, in our world today, there are over 600 million charismatic believers. 600 million in the globe today that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but have also experienced some uh, touch and miraculous encounter or experience with the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to kind of introduce a little bit today. I've been talking a lot about the person of the Holy Spirit, maybe some of the personality and characteristics of the Holy Spirit, uh, how you can trust Jesus in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I've been kind of um, moving us now more and shifting more in the latter part of the series towards the power of the Holy Spirit. Is anybody interested in that? And so historically, this move in America, some, uh, most would agree, uh, began in the early 1900s. Um, I'm going to tell you about one particular woman. Her name was Agnes Osmond. You can put her uh, face up on the screen. But um, she was praying. Uh, she's from Topeka, Kansas. She was a single woman back originally, uh, much younger than this, 31 years old. And she was praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon her life. She was just... Uh, she was a Bible uh, student. She was actually a Bible student in Topeka, Kansas, uh, going to a, a school where Charles Parham was the uh, instructor and the professor and the preacher there. And Charles Parham, you can put his face up there as well, uh, he was teaching um, there in the, in the Bible school on the, uh, and from the book of Acts. And he believed fully that, that God was going to pour out his spirit once again on the earth and that people would, um, as a byproduct of this outpouring, a world, revenge, world evangelism would be a result of that, that people would begin as they were filled with the spirit. Uh, a byproduct of that is that they would go out as missionaries through the entire earth and, and they would be instantly um, really missionaries for the earth. And he prepared students for this process by teaching from the book of Acts, doing a study there. And she prayed. Um, that God would touch her, specifically that he would, that the Holy Spirit would give her the gift of tongues, much like she saw in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And according to Pentecostal historians, on January 1st of 1901, at midnight, when it just turned to 1201, the Holy Spirit fell upon her and she began to speak in another language. She began to have, some people call it spirit baptism, praying in tongues. Uh, tongues of fire fell upon her. She began to, or pray in the spirit would be a term. And um, the people that were around her were, were just awed by it. In fact, many people thought she was speaking in Chinese. And 
uh, it was kind of um, a big story. Like the story spread like wildfire. All these students began to uh, come to the school and want to hear more. And Charles Parham was later filled with the Holy Spirit as well and began to teach and preach what uh, had transpired. And many students began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then um, what happened was it just continued to spread. And Charles took this message to other states uh, throughout the United States, um, just telling about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as he said, would come. He was in Texas, and one time while he was in Texas, he met another very important individual um, in the Pentecostal story in America, and his name was William Seymour. William Seymour was uh, a black, an African-American preacher, a poor, uh, impoverished uh, preacher. In fact, I think he was blind in one eye, um, but he was filled uh, with just a desire to fulfill the purpose and plan of God. And Charles shared kind of some, some of the stuff that was going on with people, and, and, and William would listen in um, to these particular messages and these stories and the different things that were happening. And he wanted to attend the school that Charles taught at, but uh, that wasn't possible. And unfortunately, the reason for that is because Charles Parham and all those people there, they were racists. And as racists, of course, we believe as Christians that that is really incompatible with the teachings of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, this is how it all unfolded. And William used to just sit outside the Bible school and listen in the window because he couldn't go inside. Ultimately, the things he heard, he took with him to California. He got into the Los Angeles area and began to preach and, and teach the Word of God and began to share, uh, you know, the message of the Holy Spirit. And many people began to hear it. Many people like him were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues and began to prophesy and began to see healings. And hundreds and hundreds of people began to gather to listen to William Seymour. Ultimately, they began to assemble in an upper room, much like this. We're a second floor. I like this for our Firepower series because it's similar to what happened in the book of Acts. But also what happened here in the Azusa Street uh, Church, there was this storefront church where they began to meet, and they'd be on the second floor, and revival broke out. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of people began to come from uh, all over the world to be touched by this message that was being preached about fresh firepower, and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And for three years, three services every single day, people would come from all over the world to experience what we know today is the birthplace of of modern Pentecostalism. It all took place there. Initially, the people that would come were kind of the backwoods kind of people, uneducated people, poor and impoverished people, maybe the extreme blue collar at best kind of people. And, and so they kind of had a label that they put on these people. Many of you have been in the church any length of time have heard this term, but they were called holy rollers. Has anybody ever heard of a holy roller before? That's where this came from was this modern Pentecostal movement back there in the early 1900s. But over time, this thing spread throughout the whole earth. And it's important for you to know, and I'll skip ahead to uh, decades later, but basically this whole thing would just jump generations. It would jump uh, demographics. It would, it would, it would jump denominations um, into many different types of um, environments. In fact, churches like the Assemblies of God was birthed out of this Pentecostal movement. Later, Foursquare Church, um, the Vineyard Fellowship, and things like that were all extensions of this modern Pentecostal movement in the early 1900s. And some 
mainline denominations even got in on this, threads of it within the Episcopalian Church, Roman Catholicism, and even the Lutherans. Uh, in the 70s, there was what's known as the Jesus Movement. Anybody a part of the Jesus Movement? Uh, this was, uh, nobody wants a few people, praise the Lord. There was this, this long hippie generation, uh, long-haired hippies, and they got on fire for Jesus, but many of them were also introduced to the person, the work, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. And it kind of went crazy for a while. Got a, at the end of it, kind of, um, you know, media and, and, and different attention, try to put some negativity on it. And then there was kind of this, this silent divorce that was, you know, referenced in the message opener, began to the separation within the church of the evangelical conservatives and then also the empowered Christ followers. There was this separation. But in the 80s, God would always bring new servants into the body of Christ to reignite this passion for the Holy Spirit. There was one particular leader who had a major impact on my life when I was in uh, seminary. His name was John Wimber, but John Wimber uh, was a professor, and he was teaching a class at one point in time at Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller Theological Seminary is not one known for having leanings toward Pentecostalism or charismatic uh, tendencies, but he was there preaching on global evangelism. And under the guise of global evangelism, he introduced the uh, message of the Holy Spirit because in the world at the time where he had traveled the whole world, he saw that the Church of Jesus Christ was exploding. But a byproduct of this explosion was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the earth. In other words, the reason there, were, there was so much growth was because of the results, the, the proof of what would happen as a result of the Holy Spirit being involved in people's lives. And many were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, healings were taking place and lives were being transformed. And so for him and others like him, uh, our big idea for the series has been the Holy Spirit is not just some dry doctrine to believe, but it has always been been meant to be a person and power to receive, a person and power to receive. Is everybody with me so far? So it brings us to today. I wanted to illustrate that in just a few minutes to just kind of say to you, the biggest religious story maybe in our time and in our history is the move of the Holy Spirit on the planet right now. Not so much maybe in your midst and in your scope and in your windshield, but it is. In the last hundred years, what started with one woman in Topeka, Kansas, has grown over a hundred years to represent over, some people believe, 700 million charismatic Christians on the earth today. And the current trends and current growth trends right now say that by 2020, listen to this, one in seven people will be a charismatic believer on the planet. Not one in seven Christians, one in seven people. One billion people on the planet will be charismatic Christians by 2020. Let that sink in just for a little bit. Okay, because if you were a businessman and you were getting ready to make an investment and you heard about where things are going to be in a little while, you'd double down on something like that. You'd invest in something like that. And so rather than do the normal qualifying and make you feel comfortable and cozy with the Holy Spirit and kind of ease it into you, I just want you to know the whole earth is accepting this message. It's just prevalent. And I would just say the results, a lot of times I don't follow things just because somebody told me. Sometimes I don't follow something just because of relationship. I follow sometimes things because of results. This is what's happening on the planet today. So today I want to talk to you about 
tongues of fire. We talked about the purifying work of the Holy Spirit last week, the holy of the Holy Spirit, that sometimes in order to have power in our life, we have to have purity first. And one of the, one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is the, the purifying work, the fire, the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. I know that I need more power in my life to be able to face some of the things I'm facing, encounter some of the things I'm encounter out here and in here, and I need the Holy Spirit to do that. One of the things we talked about in the first service was just don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. And he said a bunch about the Holy Spirit from John 14 to 17. And he said, trust me, trust me. So I'm just telling you, it's all throughout the Bible, but it's all throughout the earth today. And our big idea regarding this subject is this. Tongues of fire purify our words and can change our world. Tongues of fire purify our words and can change our world. In Acts chapter 2, here's what's going on. Is everybody with me? All right, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, Pentecost is a word that a lot of people have been scared of, depending on your religious background. Pentecost, pentecosti in the Greek, it means five-sided to the 10th power. So let's just think about the word that many of us get scared of. Pentecost means, get ready for this, 50. (laughs) Isn't that scary? It means 50. Okay. So we got to move on, all right? So when the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they celebrate this, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember that, one accord. Remember, that's going to come up later. They were all in a Honda. They were in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided, or you could say separated, tongues tongues separated as of fire, and it sat upon each of the people that were there. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do what? They began to speak with other tongues. So rather than dodge a subject in the Bible and just act like it's not there, let's talk about it openly. Let's look at God's word and see what it says. So they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word tongues, glossa, means, it means languages, okay? And so there's three uh, realities about tongues of fire. Let me give you these three realities. The first one about tongues is it's a language. It's legit. Speaking in tongues is not gibberish. It's a language according to Scripture. Might be gibberish to you, but it's not gibberish according to the Bible. You have to decide for yourself as a Christ follower, is God's word true or not? I don't want to stand on one thing related to God's word and not stand on another thing. I can't, it's, it's, either, it's either congruent or it's not. So I just believe the word of God can be stood on and followed. Amen? Amen. Verse 5 and 6 of the same chapter, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound of the Holy Spirit occurred, the multitude came together and they were, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. That particular translation of that word means dialect. So this is a language. It's a language. Because it's a language, let me explain something to you. And this is for some of you, depending on your background, what you've heard, what you've seen. Okay, you don't need to be afraid of something that's in the Bible. There's nothing to be afraid of. You should never be afraid of this because it's in the Bible. That should actually make you secure. Oh, look at that. It is real. It is a language. Often we don't know what the Bible says, and we haven't looked it up or studied it for ourselves, and so we accepted what somebody else said and taken that as doctrine. Doctrine doesn't come from man. It comes from God. Mm, That's a good point, Pastor. I like that point. Okay, so let me give you three 
subpoints to this, three myths about speaking in tongues that you might have accepted or adopted. I'm just going to do three. We could do a bunch of them. But here's what happens sometimes. When regards to the subject, some people think that if you, when you receive it, you'll start speaking fluently right away. People say things like, you know, well, that's Pastor D. That's what they did on the, the day of Pentecost. They started speaking fluently right away. No, they didn't. It says they heard them speak fluently. It didn't say they spoke fluently. They heard fluently. In other words, the miracle was what they heard, not what they said. Look it up right there in the Bible for yourself. So, hmm, I never saw that before. That's the point. We have to read this thing and see it for ourselves. These people yielded their tongues to the Holy Spirit, and, and, and God, God worked on their tongue. I think it's really interesting that the first work of the Holy Spirit when he came at Pentecost was on their tongue first. Just think about that. The first thing he did was touch their tongue. Isn't it interesting? If you look all the way back in Genesis, and we'll go back to that in a little while, you'll see what happened there with the tongue. But, but the Bible says in Proverbs 18.21, the power of life and death is in the tongue. 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 The tongue in James, it says, is a fire. Is a fire. So it can be used as a fire for God. It can use it to be a fire that actually puts out God, extinguishes God, stops what God wants to do. And so uh, power of life and death is in it. So you don't... When you think about this myth, you don't start speaking any language fluently if you think about it. How many of you, and there will be a bunch, how many of you speak a second language? All right? All right, a lot of you. So you would be considered bilingual, bilingual. So if you speak one language, you're called American. <laughs> All right? Most countries in the world speak more than one language. We don't even speak American right. Okay? So, so think about this. With anybody who's learned a language, babies don't just start speaking fluently right away. They don't just start talking right away. They start, they mispronounce words. They kind of put things in the wrong order and things like that. And, and so sometimes many of you have been stifled in, in what God wanted to do in your life because you thought you just had to speak fluently right away. You were prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you stopped the progress and relationship with the Holy Spirit because you thought you had to speak fluently right away. Where does it happen like that in anything in our lives? In fact, when you, if you have a child and they begin to speak certain words and they do it the wrong way, you think it's cute. You like it. You're working really hard to connect with them. You, you help them along the way. It's relational. Your father likes it when you speak his language. Okay, he likes it. I remember my kids when they began to learn how to, you know, you know, kind of preach and talk as well. My oldest daughter, Mallory, uh, she used to, she should always like practice church and, and do church. She, I guess she wanted to be the pastor. So she would be preaching. And we used to have this old song. We used to sing a hymnal. And I can't remember all of it, so hopefully I can say it right. But it used to say, let, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Pretty good, right? <laughs> but, but she would sing it totally different. She'd sing, let... Let, let angels prostate fall. I'd be like, oh! Bring forth the royal diamond. He can't afford it at all. And she just totally like, just redo the words, right? Totally wrong, totally wrong, right? When my son, who was learning how to speak when he was young, firstborn, I, I didn't know how to connect with him. And it's just like Stacy could connect with him right away. And they had this bond. And, you know, she, I don't, maybe it came from nursing. I don't know what it, I couldn't nurse. But anyway, uh, and, and so I remember I could hold him up in the air. I'd be like, Devin, he'd be crying and talking and saying something. Just tell me what you want. And, she, and she'd come over. She'd be like, oh, no, he doesn't want milk. He wants juice. I'd be like, what? How did she do that? How did she do that? 
See, you need to understand your prayer language is not just going to come out right out of the gate, okay, when you receive it. How do you receive it? The same way you receive salvation, by grace through faith. How do you receive the gift of salvation? By grace through faith. How do you receive the gift of the Spirit? By grace through faith faith. It's a process. You work it out. We work out our salvation by fear and trembling. It's a process. It's a journey. How do we work out our prayer language? It's a process. It's a journey. Is everybody getting something out of this? Okay. Here's the second myth. You can't control it. You can't control it. Some people think, this is what people think. Like, oh, I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it. I'm going to be, you, you imagine you're going to be in a Walmart one day. <laughs> you, you know where I'm going with this already. You're going to be standing in line, and you get to the right, and you feel something coming over you, and you're starting to go into a trance, and you're going to get to the registry, you ask for your credit card, and you take the mic, you say, Walmart shoppers, just taking you, your eyes roll back in your head. You can control it. That's not going to happen. <laughs> All of the gifts that are in the Bible, is teaching a gift in the Bible? Is teaching a gift in the Bible? Yeah. Can you control it? Sure. Is prophecy a gift in the Bible? Can you control it? Sure. The prophet says prophecy is subject to the prophet. So this is a gift. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but you have to submit your will to the Holy Spirit for it to work in your life. Is everybody with me? All right. Here's the second myth. It's going to jump out of you one day. It's just going to jump out of you. PD, I prayed, I prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If God sees fit to give me the gift, I went, whoa, 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 stop right there. He already gave you the gift. Jesus gave you the gift. I can't even listen to you complete your sentence. But if God sees fit to give me the gift, then it'll just, one day, it's just, we'll just finish up. Let me finish, Pastor. It's just going to come out of me. It's just going to come out of me. That's re- Can I just tell you, that's ridiculous. That'd be like me going down the aisle here at the end of service today, go by the connection box, and, and my wallet pops open, and a $10 bill goes, woo, right into the connection box. And then I turn to my wife and say, honey, I've been praying for the gift of giving. And the $10 just came out. That's incredible. No, it's not going to work like that. I'm going to have to go buy the connection box. If I have the gift of giving, I'm going to have to pull my checkbook out. I'm going to have to write a big, I mean, I'm going to have to write a check and put it in the box. Does everybody get what I'm saying? You can control this thing. It won't just jump out of you. So here's a question for you. Is it possible that misinformation has kept you from this wonderful gift? Just think about it, okay? Here's the second thing. It's a language of the spirit. So it's a language. It's real. It's legit. It's also a language of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's not a la- it's not a lateral conversation it's a vertical conversation for no one understands him however in the spirit that in the spirit what does he do he speaks what mysteries that means you don't get it you don't understand it here okay look at these two other verses and skip down well i don't know if you skip down but in verse 14 and 15 these would be two verses regarding tongues of fire praying in the spirit prayer language you should probably memorize because the enemy will try to come in and distort and discourage you in this journey, this process with the Holy Spirit, receiving not just the relational, but the power side of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, it says, it says for if I, everybody say if I. In other words, it's a choice. If I pray in tongues, in a tongue, my what? Spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what's this saying? It's saying my spirit's praying, but my mind doesn't understand it. It doesn't grasp it. But I keep doing it. 
Because I know when my spirit prays, something is happening between my spirit and God's spirit. Okay? Everybody tracking with me? What's the conclusion? Watch this. I will pray with my spirit. This is obviously referring to praying in tongues. And I will pray with my understanding, with my mind. So I can do both. I can sing and I, in the spirit. I can sing with the understanding. I can, I can pray with the spirit. I can pray with the understanding. Both of those I can do. My, my mind sometimes will be unfruitful when I'm praying in the spirit. But my spirit is being very fruitful. Very fruitful. So, again, this is the Bible. Okay? Let it sink in. This is the Bible. So if there's anything that rises up, and this has happened to me on other things, if something rises up inside you to resist this, you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because that's not God's word, and, that's not, and God's word and God's will are synonymous. That's not God's will for you. So I have had to confront those feelings in different places in my life. Why in the world would something do that? Well, maybe there's someone that doesn't want you to receive him fully. So Paul, sa Paul says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, then I pray with the understanding. How many people, think about this, just pray with their minds and not with their spirit? How many people are get not getting their prayers answered because we're trying to go to God just with our minds, okay? So is it possible that the Spirit has more understanding about the situations in your life than your mind does? In other words, there's been times where I've been asleep and I, my wife has heard me praying in the Spirit while I'm sleeping. You say, really? Yeah, you know why? Because God, God's like, my spirit's like, finally, his mind is shut off. Now I can talk to God. God, whatever he was saying, yeah, don't listen to that. This is what I want you to hear right now. And so my spirit just begins to pray to God right, while I'm, right, in, right in my sleep. Because sometimes we need, we need to shut this off because it's unfruitful. It doesn't bear as much fruit as the spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection that happens between you and God. You have no idea how good what I just said was. And so you are a tripart being. You have a spirit, a mind, and a body. And your mind, sometimes translated in the New Testament, soul, suke is the Greek word. It means will, feelings, emotions. Okay, so a lot of times we're just praying with our will, which is often not fully submitted to God. A lot of times we're praying with our feelings. A lot of times we're praying, you know, just in that soulish realm, a lot of soulish prayers. And sometimes we're frustrated because we're not getting the results we want because we're just praying with our minds. I'm trying to give you and entice you into why God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why did he give us this opportunity to pray in the Spirit, to bypass this because it has limiters and governors on it, just like, a, a, you know, a, one of those trucks that you go across country to to move with. They have governors on them. God wants to take the governor off in your life. And Paul said, Paul said, I didn't say this, the greatest apostle on the whole earth said, I pray in tongues more than you all. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Did Paul get some stuff done? He did. All right? And he said, pray in tongues more than you all. You know, I wish that you all, he said, would pray in the Spirit. He said, do not forbid the, 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 the pray, praying in tongues. Yet full, total, there's theological persuasions that have said, the Heisman to the Holy Spirit, no, we don't want to do that. But God says in his word that we should do that. So I used to think about this. I, I did this last night, so this is new material. But why couldn't God just give us this power without tongues? Could you just have taken this controversial thing out of it? That's what I was thinking. Why is it necessary? And I was, this is bonus information for you note takers. Write this in your notes. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. I beg you to look it up on your own and see for yourself, okay? Don't just take my word for it. But this text answers that question. Why did he have to bring, you know, tongues into the equation? Paul said this, and I think it's around verse 4 or 5. It says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, 
Okay? So what God's trying to do is he's trying to say, you, you don't want to put it in your argument. You want to put it on God. God wanted to provide proof in the pudding. God wanted to bypass your mind. That's why it says in verse 9, no mind, you know, has been prepared or conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Your mind cannot hold all of God, but your spirit can. Amen. Oh, man. It's really good. So God knew that our lives would not be impacting enough with good arguments, with good teaching. Man has a tendency to want to learn about God, but not encounter God, experience God, even give God away. God wanted to emphasize all through the Bible the proof in the pudding. In other words, if you look at why people became followers of God, I'm a follower to God of God because more of an event than a teaching of Jesus. Jesus said he was going to do something. He did it. He lived a sinless life. He died. He rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says our preaching would be useless if it was not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? So that we could have all this awesome teaching to argue and debate with people about? You know as well as I do when you're trying to share your faith, it's really hard to win people over with the debate. What does it is that Jesus said something and it happened. What does it is changed lives. Your life has been changed. I don't argue with people. I just say, he changed my life forever. And people will not, you know, they'll give, they, they won't give in to your argument. They will give in to your experience Amen. that you're a different person. And that's what happened. And so God was trying to do the same thing with regards to this subject of the Holy Spirit. Because all of God cannot fit in your finite brain. But he wants you to have it all. He wants you to experience that. But he wants you to have all of that. So he gave you something he didn't give any other living creature. He gave you a spirit. I'm not saying, I'm just saying mind, location, spirit, you know, location. It's the spirit side of you that is like God. And he wants to connect with you spirit to spirit. He wants to bypass this noggin that gets in the way of what God wants to do. And it's limiting. And it, again, it governs sometimes things. So God, what does he do? He speaks to you in code and then you back to him. Your mind may be unfruitful, but there's still great and amazing things that are happening by the Spirit. It's a language between you and God. Your brain might be temporarily miserable, but your spirit is being filled. Amen. How many know that there are plenty, I wish I could do more on this, but there are plenty of good things in your life that you experience, love, continue to do, but you don't understand what they do. You don't understand how they work. You do tons of things that you love that are good for you that you don't understand. So you don't have to understand this language necessarily. You can, and you can grow in interpreting what, you've, what, you, what you pray sometimes, and God will show you things, but most of the time you don't. Most of the time you won't understand it. Doesn't it make sense that something that is so powerful and so heavenly, the devil will attack this area to bring confusion and maybe try to confuse the language of God between you and him? You can have it if you want it. It's there for you. I think it's important to know also, just if it's not clear, I, I received this when, you know, early in my Christian experience. I was a young boy. I was saved when I was a young boy. I was baptized in water as a young boy, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a second baptism. The first one is baptism in water, which is a sign and seal of what Jesus did in my life. I go down into the, watery, the waters, symbolizing when Jesus went down in the grave, and I come up a new person, symbolic of when Jesus came out of the water, excuse me, out of the grave. And so the, the, water baptism is like, is like the wedding band of Christianity. It's just a sign and a seal to whom I belong. 
But baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace where you can, be in, you can be empowered as a believer to be able to do what Christ did on the earth as well. He operated and functioned under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And one of those things he wants to give you is a prayer language, a, a spirit baptism where you can begin to speak in tongues in order to edify yourself. And when I first received it, I was, I was in a Pentecostal church as a young boy, but it was at home that my father prayed for me to receive my prayer language. And I remember just getting a few words. I can still remember those words to this day that he gave me. It sounded kind of Spanish, so I've always had a love for the Latin side of things. And uh, I can still do a little, oh, anyway, uh, <laughs> merengue or whatever. Um, but um, I can remember speaking that, but it was many years later that I began, before I had like a fluency in my prayer language. It was just a few words for years and years and years, but I would speak them faithfully. And sometimes I would speak them and I, and, you know, and I, I, I didn't feel the results from them. In fact, my father, when he prayed for me, he would come back and he'd say, are you are you're still praying in the spirit? And I said, yeah. And uh, he says, what? I said, well, I'm not feeling anything. He said, but when you pray in English to God for something, do you always feel something? I said, no, Dad, I don't. He goes, you pray in obedience because you know when you pray, you're going to get a result. So I'm telling you, you continue to pray in the Spirit. In obedience, you'll get a result. And he went on to, of course, my father would always give me a lot of teaching. So he said, so when, when you tithe, I've taught you to tithe, son. He goes, do you always feel it right away, the blessing of God right away? I said, no, sir. He said, but, but you have, since you've been doing it, experienced the blessing. Yes, sir. When did that come? It came later. The breakthrough came as a byproduct of the obedience, not because I, I just initially did it and I had to have the results right away. So a lot of times we just think, oh, I did it, I did that, and it didn't work. I don't feel anything. Listen, feelings cannot rule you. Choices lead and feelings follow. We follow God and what he says, and ultimately you will experience that breakthrough. And many years later, I remember being at a prayer meeting. It was about, I was about 11 years old. I was in somebody's house. This woman named Mary Trebolsi was having these meetings, and she was speaking over all these kids about the Holy Spirit. And I can remember this fresh touch of God came over me as about a 12-year-old boy. And while I, while I was praying and seeking the Lord, I was just praying my little simple language, my little simple dialect that the Holy Spirit had given me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came over me and gave me a fresh touch of God. And I began to like something come out, out of me. Like All I can say is just like out from the inside. I began to speak like fluently. Like I just got a whole download. And as I was speaking this language, I was giving these mannerisms. And it was as if I was preaching to you right now as I was speaking out. And I was just like, I knew I was talking to God. It was incredible. Now, I can honestly say since then, there have been several uh, refreshings of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19 talks about this, where I would, you know, turn my, my attention to God, and the, these refreshings would come, and i get a new dialect and kind of a new wave of the Holy Spirit. But it started with obedience. It started with obedience. And there's two distinctions with this gift. The gift is there's a grace gift. The grace gift is a, for personal edification, praying in the Spirit for your personal edification. But there's also the gift of tongues, which is for the edification of the church which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But this changed my life when I realized I'm not going to be led by my feelings. I'm going to be led by obedience. And in the process, God began to do something inside of me. But there's many benefits to praying in the Spirit. Sometimes we omit the value of it because we are a little afraid of it. We don't understand it or we, don't, we, we listen to somebody else on it. Ephesians chapter 6 has what we know as the, the full armor of God. Has anybody ever heard about the armor of God? The Bible says we don't wage war, war as the world does. Our, our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We know that we need to do sometimes spiritual warfare. A lot of Christians don't have a problem with spiritual warfare. But as soon as we get to praying in the Spirit, whoo, 
I don't know about that. So let me give you the last two verses of the armor of God scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. And notice something that sometimes we omit. It says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Here it is. In the what? In the spirit. There it is. So sometimes we're taking that out. Here's another verse about praying in the Spirit, Jude 20. Jude has one chapter. This is the 20th verse. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up. Does anybody need to build themselves up ever? No, I'm totally built up. Spiritually, I'm buff. I am swole all the time. No, you know you get knocked down. You know you get defeated. You know you're strong. Some of you came in defeated. You want to talk to me and help me, help me fix it. You want to talk to somebody else. Help me. You just need to pray in the Spirit and you'll get built up. Amen. It'll build you up in your most holy faith. Sometimes all, it's, like this, it's like the orange juice. All the sediment has gone to the bottom. All this good stuff that's inside you is down at the bottom. When you pray in the Spirit, it stirs all that stuff up. Is everybody getting a visual for that? So is it possible that you are losing battles because you're not putting on the whole armor of God? You only put on pieces of it, and you're vulnerable because you didn't put on the whole armor of God. Is it possible you're losing some battles because you're only praying with your mind, soulish prayers, and not spiritual prayers as unto the Lord? Here's the third thing. Man, it's a pure language. It's a pure language. So it's language, it's language of the Spirit, it's a pure language. Genesis 11, let's go all the way back to the, uh, you know, the creation account, well not creation, but later, and, it, and this is where man is building this tower unto God, and unto the heavens, really not unto God, they're not doing it unto God, they're doing it for man. In Genesis 11 verse 1, it says this, now the whole earth had what? One language and one speech. What, some, what language was that, pastor? Well, some people think it's Hebrew. Well, in Genesis 12 was the first time that Abraham comes on the scene and the Jewish nation is birthed. So I don't believe it was Hebrew. Most people don't. Well, maybe it was English. Come on, somebody. <laughs> really? It was American. Yeah! Wave the flag. Okay. Settle down, buddy. All right. No. I would submit to you, this is my opinion. I, you know, a lot of people believe this. Not everybody, maybe. But maybe it was a heavenly language. They were speaking one language, one people. In fact, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the day. They would just imagine that, conversations with God every day. Maybe they could have spoke this heavenly language. But of course, they sinned. And then later on, you know, uh, God had to destroy the earth. And Noah, you know, um, was instrumental. And then later on, you know, uh, Abraham, you know, t takes off. And you know the story, you know, Moses. And then, you know, the Ten Commandments. That's all after Genesis 11, okay? Look at Genesis 11. Skip down to verse 5. It says, but the Lord came down to see what man's doing, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have one language. And this is what they can begin to do. Now nothing, because they're one people, one language, now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us there's the Trinity, by the way. Go down there, confuse their language that, we may, uh, that they may not understand uh, one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad all over the face of the earth. Why, 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 did, why didn't God let them continue to do that? Why didn't he let them try to build this all up to heaven? I, I believe and many believe it's because they had a selfish ambition, not a spiritual ambition. They had unfruitful desires, okay? But what's interesting in the story is what, because they had one language as one people, there was nothing that was impossible. Nothing could be withheld from them because they were one language. Is everybody tracking with me? Is it possible that if we use the language that God gave us again and it was restored back to us, that nothing we would pray for could be withheld from us? Mm. 
Many times we're praying soulish prayers. We're praying the prayers of man. We're praying things that we want for ourselves. But if your spirit is praying with God's spirit, let me just tell you something. You might get more done. More can be accomplished in that role, in that place. Nothing perhaps that you would propose to God would be withheld from you if you were praying spiritual prayers. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, my final text, it talks about the prophecy about Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming in the last days. And it says this. The prophet said, for then, at that time, I will restore the, to the people a pure, what? Amen. Language. In other words, what I took away in Genesis, I'm going to restore and put back in the last days. Oh, I hope you guys, that's so cool. That's so cool. In other words, he's not going to create something. He's not going to start something. He's not, he's, he's not giving it. He's restoring it. He's restoring it. I'm going to give back that to you. I took, I took that because, because what you were going to do was for the wrong purposes, but I'm going to bring it back so that nothing, if, you, if my people would get this, it would sweep the world. Nothing that they wanted to accomplish could be withheld from them. That's why there's a charismatic movement that's stronger than any other time in human history. That's why we're just shy, you know, just around the corner of one billion Christians surrendering not only to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And so I just think it's so powerful. You can just stand on your feet. I want to pray for you. I think God gave us this back as a gift. Did you get something out of that, everybody? Yes. I know it's a little different for some people. And this, is, this is how I want to end this. Just, just, just listen to me for a second, and I'm going to pray for you. I, I remember years ago, early in ministry, going to the hospital to pray for somebody. And on my way, I was thinking, I don't have what they need. I need you, God. I need you, God. Like, I needed, if I'm really uh, summarizing, I needed power to help these people. And I went with a friend of mine, and um, we went into this, into this uh, hospital room. The person was in a coma, and we sat on both sides of the bed and we began to pray. And we were praying in English. I'd pray, and then he'd pray. I'd pray, and then he'd pray, and I'd pray, and then he'd pray. How many know eventually we ran out of things to pray? Like no more English. It was like, I don't, I just said all the scriptures I know. And I, and I know you've all been there. Like I said all the, you know, spiritual things I can think of. And then it was just silence. And then in the silence, my friend began to pray in the spirit. Began to pray in tongues. And I remember listening. I'd heard it and I'd been exposed to it. So you could have a different story if you, if you hadn't. But that was my story at the time. And I'm listening to him and I'm, and I'm listening to him and it was like, to be honest with you, it sounded like he was an auctioneer at a car dealership or something like that. You know, you know, just really like some choppy and just not, not pretty. And, and in my head, I was thinking, man, he's he's not really good at that. that sounds, I've heard people pray better than that, a lot more fluent and just fluid and just you know dynamic and all that. And right, this is what I forgot, and it's important to remember that when I'm thinking something, the Holy Spirit can hear what I'm thinking. How many know that? Okay. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, yeah, but at least he's trying. At least he's willing to step out and use that. You got anything else to say? No, no, sir. No, sir. You know, and, and, and my heart as a pastor, the same heart that Paul had, is I know you might have some issues with this. I get it. I 
get it. I know some crazy stories. I can tell you crazy stories. You know what ended up happening? I glorify the devil, not glorify God if I told you all those stories. You wouldn't feel really better. You wouldn't be drawn more to it. You just feel identification. But identification is overrated sometimes. It doesn't necessarily make us move. You don't need identification. You need inspiration where you realize, you know what? I need a little bit more in my life. I need some power. My prayers do run out. I do feel like I'm sometimes disconnected from God. There's stuff inside of me I can't even process. And you made a way for that? Wow. Wow. So I'm just saying to you, I want what Paul wants for you. He said, I I wish that you all prayed in the Spirit. I'll risk whatever people think. I wish you all prayed in the Spirit. I wish you all prayed. I pray in the Spirit every day. Every single day. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do my job without that. So I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here. You just need to try it. Why don't you try it? Why don't you get over yourself a little bit and try it, okay? I'm not going to make anybody do it today, but this is what I want to do. I want to plant a seed in your mind and in your heart. I want you to talk to God about it. Don't talk to your spouse about it. Don't talk to your friend about it. Don't talk, don't talk to Google about it. Talk to God about it. I want you to talk to God about it. On Sunday Night Live this month, we're going to have a baptism in the Holy Spirit service. I'm going to teach on it. I'm going to deal with all your issues. And then we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit fill you all with the Holy Spirit. That night, I want you to make plans. That's the commitment I'm asking you to pray about right now. I'm asking you to make a predetermined commitment to be there on Sunday night to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to commit. That's the miracle this morning is that you would try. You would go for it. You would step into that. Maybe you're here today if you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus. Jesus gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, but to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you first have to receive Jesus. You came in today, you're like, whoa, but something inside you wants it. In order to get to that place, you have to receive Jesus as your Lord, your Savior. You realize you can't do it by yourself. You can't go through life the way things are going. You know you're far from God. Jesus made a way by getting the cross, bringing the two together. You far away from God, back to to the Father God by getting on the cross for you. And as a result, a barrier and a wall, a hostility of sin was broken, it says in Ephesians 2, 14 through 15. And you can be one with God again by just confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you know that he's talking to you because he talked to me like that he talked to hundreds of people in this church like that thousands and millions all over the world if you know he's talking to you like that i'm not going to call you down front i'm not going to embarrass you if you listen online i want you to raise your hand good and high and say that's me i want to know jesus before i leave today god bless you that's awesome that's awesome yep yep good and high so i don't miss you that's awesome don't be ashamed that's awesome it's the best decision nothing to be ashamed awesome 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 that's great yes 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 would you pray this with me? Those of you raise your hand. And those that are with them, just around them, this whole church, would you pray this prayer? Just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. I thank you that I can have a relationship with you. You want to have a personal relationship with me. Jesus, I trust you. I trust your words. I transfer total trust from me to you. Save me, make me a new person, and teach me about the Holy Spirit so I can have that connection, that spirit-to-spirit connection, so my life, my prayers can be fruitful in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord the biggest hand clap. Like, he's here, he's happy, he's excited. Come on, give a big praise. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen.